0: You just missed a home run. I missed out on an incredible deal you were offering at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. It just started. You can get beautiful
1: Pella windows and pay no interest for four years. Visit PellaWI.com.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us
2: a call at 855-616-1620. Now filling in for Jeff Wagner, here's your host, Ryan Recker. Ah, that's a surprise. I didn't know the voice guy was going to say my name. How cool is that? What a pleasure it is to be here on WTMJ, and I invite you, anyone that would normally interact with the show, to continue doing that. They set me up with the text line, so I'm able to look at that. They set me up with the phone line, so I'm able to talk to you that way. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. Another great way to reach the uh, station and reach me is on Twitter, at Ryan Recker. You can find me on there. I came in yesterday, flew in, called an Uber, because, you know, I don't have a car here. You fly in, and that's how it works. The lady that picked me up was, I would say, roughly 58 years old. And I asked her, how long have you been driving Uber? About seven years. 1,100 passengers in her vehicle. I said, you've seen a lot, haven't you? Oh, I bet you've seen a few things in this car. She said, no, everyone's polite and nice. That's what Milwaukee's about. People are just nice here. like, okay, great. So I tried to get her to say something bad about Milwaukee. And this is how I tried to weasel my way in. Oh, what's great about the city? What do you like about Milwaukee? And she was naming all kinds of things. We would drive by landmarks. She would pointed out, oh, look at this building. Oh, look at this. Oh, there's the water. Oh, and everything's so wonderful. And I said, okay, well, you've probably seen a lot of changes in the city since you've lived here. Oh, yeah, it's grown a lot since then. What don't you like about the city? You know what she said? Nothing. She said nothing bad about the city. Let me tell you this. If you're looking for first impressions, you go to the Uber drivers. I don't know if the tourist bureau or the city are paying the Uber drivers, but if they are, it's working. Because if you take a step into the city and the person says something discouraging, they say, oh, you won't believe what happened down here. And, oh, there was a headline the other day, and this person got hurt. And, oh, look at this, and this building's out of the... If it was that, you'd walk out of the car into your hotel thinking, I'm afraid to leave this place. I guess I'm eating here. Room service. No, it made me want to walk the streets of Milwaukee and see more of it. So I just want to thank my Uber driver for putting me in the good mood as we got there. And I'm sure people listening to this show have a lot of grievances and gripes against the city of Milwaukee. That's just how it works. But I will say this. The city that I currently live in is St. Louis, Missouri. You're not St. Louis. you got that to look forward to. There are a lot of issues in the city, but it is compiled because a lot of the government officials are just not good. In fact, we've had a couple of waves of federal indictments. We had a county executive go to federal prison. And there was another round of... People that are being investigated by the feds right now, at least you don't got that going for you. So that's a big plus. One of the other things that happened yesterday walking around, and I thought this was remarkable. I was so fortunate in the ability to be welcomed here to WTMJ, and I was able to meet some great people today and yesterday. They took me out to dinner, the executives here. Very nice crowd. And while we were walking to Moe's to get some steak, there was a homeless lady that was right on one of the corners, sitting down, asking for money. You know what she said to me? One of the nicest things anyone's ever said to me. She said, "Uh, do you have any money? You smell good. Whoa, Why? wait a minute. I smell good? It made me want to pull out a 20. No one's ever said that to me in my entire life. So here I am in Milwaukee. Everyone's so nice. Is this just what to expect? I don't want to become cynical. And listen, I know the longer you live here, more likely you become cynical when you see problems not getting fixed day in and day out. But let me tell you this. I've never had anyone stop me and say, you smell nice. And that is a uniquely Milwaukee thing. So I want to just say thank you, Milwaukee, for welcoming me here. I'm going to be in for the next couple of hours. I would love to hear from you. I would love to see your text messages. I would love to see your phone calls. Uh, in the text message is, Ryan, who are you and where is Jeff? I think Jeff originally said he was going to be golfing today, but I don't know if that happened. So he had a day off based on a holiday he worked a couple of weeks back. So here I am filling in. Please don't hate me yet, because that text message was a little hostile. I read that, and I think, oh, he's uh, really trying to judge me right now. I'm going to do my best to really impress you here today in the next couple of hours. In the next segment... There was that topic about voters in mail-in absentee ballots that I don't quite understand. If you are really on the side of showing your ID to mail-in a ballot, please give me a call because I'm hoping you can explain to me how you could weed out mail-in ballots that have been verified through ID or not verified through ID. I don't see how you can logistically do this, honestly. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in on WTMJ. And I'm Ryan Recker, filling in for Jeff Wagner, and I'll tell you that the text messages are very active today. This is fantastic. Here's a couple of them. Text message, go back and ask the Uber driver about car theft in the shootings. See, I knew the cynical side would come out. It's just natural. The more you pay attention to politics and local government, you start to realize there's a lot of those that don't really get the attention they deserve. Here's a text message. Uh, Ryan, welcome. You sound familiar from a St. Louis radio station. Am I right or wrong? You are correct. I worked at a radio station in St. Louis. I did a night show in St. Louis. The night crowd is a fun crowd, let me tell you that. The night crowd is always a little bit unhinged and loves conspiracy (laughs) theories and Bigfoots and stuff. So you may have listened because the signal is such a strong one that it would reach many different states, like half the country. So there's a chance if you were up late. Here's another text message. Welcome to Milwaukee. Yeah, some things suck, but it's still a good day. Just need to get some things fixed. That's the right approach, I think, to really any problem when it comes to government, that you want to be able to work as long as your elected officials are willing to work. Some of them are not. Some of them look at the politics of it. They might have certain ideology and say that we cannot fix this problem because it may hurt someone or it may look bad or it doesn't really fit the narrative that we're trying to push. And ultimately, people suffer because of that. We don't want that to be a long-term thing. Here's one, Austin from Racine. Ryan, welcome to your beautiful state of Wisconsin. Wonderful. So I wanted to get to the ballot boxes. And I'm, I'm really needing some help on this one because maybe you can explain how things are done in Wisconsin. But one of the big stories is that they're trying to figure out what the law actually says when it comes to mail-in ballots. So if you have a drop box, before, if you had a mail-in ballot, absentee ballot, you would fill it out and drop it in the box, and it would be counted as part of the election. And now they're going back and looking. The Supreme Court issued a decision outlining the absentee ballot drop boxes, ruled that the voters can return an absentee ballot to local clerks in person, but you have to represent yourself when you're doing it, meaning that you have to prove that you are the one filling out the ballot. And a few things come to mind in this, because not always are you going to be face-to-face with a clerk. Sometimes you're just thinking, drop it in the box and get out of here. The other part that I wonder, when you go and vote in person, the experiences I've had, in a state like Missouri, where you show your ID, they scan it, they make sure it's you, is that they do that ahead of time, before you get your ballot. You fill it out, you put it in, it processes it through the machine, and then you're out. You get your sticker, and you get your high five. So far, no one at the polling place has ever given me a high five, even though I try. But the thing that you notice is that the person on the end may take a little peek at what you voted, but they're not there to verify it. So at the point that your ballot has already been received, that should have been the verification point. If we're going to try to fix this, the the verification should mean you have the ballot in hand. They shouldn't just unsolicited send ballots out because that is what makes it more difficult to verify it on the other side. I think what you want to do is mimic as best as you can the experience of going into the polling place. Because that way, you know you're representing yourself they know you're representing yourself, period. But if you just blank out ballots and just throw them in the mail, pick them up, and we're just going to collect whatever we want and be done with it, then that doesn't work because then you have the opportunity for fraud and you want to minimize that as much as possible. And I think that if we were to say that if you turn in a ballot that was unverified to begin with, it's not unreasonable to say we need to see your ID on the back side. However... What are you going to do with all of these other boxes? Are you going to hire a clerk to stand outside and monitor and watch every single one that comes through? Do we have the money and resources to do that? How do you even fix something like this? And does it even need fixed? Because honestly, I think you're overcomplicating it. What you really have to do is verify it on the front end. That's the way it should be done. Here's the number, 855-616-1620. I'd love to hear from you here. Is that the right way to do it, or are you even worried about this? Are you so concerned right now you think this is an absolute necessity that we're going to have to comb through everything that comes through with an ID on the other end, and if you're not there representing yourself, you toss it. Because what you're going to find is a lot of advocacy groups coming out saying that you're disenfranchising a whole different group of people. Going back to some of the causes, uh, Republicans claim that other mailing absentee ballots on voters' behalf is rife with fraud. Democrats argue that many voters, elderly and disabled, have difficulty returning their ballots without help. Totally understand that. In fact, that's a very reasonable concern. Um, I, this is something that happened in the city I live in, or at least the county I live in. One of the issues that we ran into is that the tax collection, the agency that uh, works on property taxes, requires you to get your tab online. You had to go to the county website. You had to print your bill and then send it in electronically. And this is what they argue. They said if you're elderly or disabled and you're a property owner or you need some personal property tax payments, you're unable to do that. And you know what? They were absolutely right. You don't want to make it harder. The government shouldn't be putting up those barriers to make it harder if they don't have to. So what say you? I would really, um, how about this? If you think there should be clerks checking an ID every time, if you think that is actually Doable. How? Logistically speaking, can you have every box manned all the time? I just don't think that's possible, let alone mailing them in. 855-616-1620. We'll take some of your calls, your text messages coming up after the break. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. And I'm Ryan Recker filling in for Jeff Wagner. It's an honor to be here on WTMJ. And I'm reading some of the text messages. Uh, I used to ride my Harley all over Milwaukee, but not anymore, too violent. I'm telling you, I always wanted to get a little cruiser to just have some fun with, to ride. And I'm afraid too. just on how people drive today. There's so much distracted driving that it makes me scared for my life to think that I'm going to hop on this and someone's going to sideswipe me. I'll be gone. The car will be gone. And there'll be no repercussions for who got me. That's what I worry about so let's go back to the question about the administrators voters must mail their own absentee ballot logistically speaking i don't know how you can confirm that every time honestly i really don't maybe you can help me with this one and some really good text messages coming in let's take some of your calls and let's go to marty hello marty welcome to wtmj good afternoon ryan welcome to wisconsin thank you you're my first call on wtmj so, uh, well, I feel honored. <laughs> as
0: a former member of the, as a former member of the army, I served 14 years outside of the state of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. How are they going to treat the service members who mail in their absentee ballots? Are they going, to, going to, how, how can you confirm an ID? It doesn't make sense to me to have it to show your ID when you're dropping off an absentee
2: ballot. How did it work for you? So when you were overseas, did they just say, here's a ballot, fill it out, and we'll send it back for you? They
0: sent me the, the ballots. I filled out my my ballot information on there, and I mailed it back to the state.
2: Okay, just as simple as that. No no questions, just no
0: ID. Nobody, no questions, no ID. There's, okay. I served from 1980 to 1994. and. The, Nobody had to witness that, hey, yeah, this is me. Mm -hmm. It it just doesn't make sense to
2: me. Great. Okay, thank you, Marty. Good to hear from you. That's very nice. All right, so part of um, what I wonder about is the exclusions that might be on that list. The exclusions meaning, okay, if you have a registered disability, does that mean you'll get a pass and we're going to allow this sort of thing? Was it Afghanistan or was, where was it that... When they had their first, their first, um, their first election, they had to put their thumbprint on it, and this was back after George W. Bush and September 11th, and it was a pride thing for them because they wanted to show everyone that they are here, showing the world that they are not going to be intimidated, and they are going to put on. This process to show that we want a representation, one that is not a dictatorship. And there was a certain amount of pride that went with that. And I think we all honored their ability to do that. But here we are today, almost to the opposite. We want to be anonymous sometimes because we don't want to be questioned. A couple of more text messages. I had to scan my driver's license to request an absentee ballot online. My husband and I drive to the post office drive-up box to mail them. Of course, the driver puts both in the box. Seems like this is frowned upon. Oh, so you just had someone take the last couple of steps for you as you're watching, like a superstar in the back of a limousine. No, I used to run a radio station where we would have a box for contesting. So if you wanted to win a prize, you had to fill out your information and drop it in the box. But you had to be very careful because there were certain regulations. You didn't want your radio station to get in trouble for people stuffing the ballot box or going in there and putting something else down that shouldn't be there because then it changes the odds. And when it changes the odds, technically you can get in some trouble. Sometimes people use it in nefarious ways because they want to try to cheat the system for their friend, their buddy. So these regulations could show you in a lot of different industries, they're there and they're already in place to make sure this type of fraud doesn't happen, let alone an election. Now think about how important elections are. Think about if you are concerned with election integrity and now you question the system this is why i think a lot of people want to have the, the lay down their head at night on that pillow knowing that there is nothing going on and that's why you want to remove those barriers so everyone's satisfied at the end but here we are i guess it's 2022 and no one's satisfied with anything you can jump through every hoop you can possibly jump through another text message that came through my mom always put the ballot that was sent to her in her mailbox from the mailman, did not have to leave the House. That was one of the concerns the last election, too. Some people said, now you're holding a very important ballot. If you are the mailman, oh boy, the, the duty that you have to deliver this, the pressure to deliver this. And there were different news agencies. I remember one in Kansas City that decided to put this to the test. They had 100, quote, ballots that they mailed. Of the hundred ninety-eight came back. There were two that were missing, and they said, is that really the way you want to do it? Maybe you need to find a better system for it. So actually representing it by putting it into the box physically might be the best absolute way to do that. All right, uh, thanks for your calls. Thanks for your text messages. When we come back, I notice that there's a, another push for the climate plan, and the New York Times is really doing their best to editorialize a news story. In fact, the very first paragraph Inside of this New York Times article, I wanted to read it for you word for word. And you tell me, is this journalism? Is this an editorial? Are they representing themselves as an opinion piece when it's really something they're pushing as a news piece? This is a good question. And we're going to do some of that coming back after the break. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. I'm Ryan Recker filling in, and thank you for having me, Milwaukee. I'm seeing some of the text messages. Most supportive, one not. So I think on the grand scheme of things, four and a half out of five stars so far, maybe, if I'm lucky. Here's I wanted to go to this one New York Times article, and this is the headline of the article. How Joe Manchin doomed the Democrats' climate plan. Now, this is nothing new. For the most part, when you have a 50-50 split in the Senate and you have one Democrat like Joe Manchin come through and say, well, do we really need to spend this? Do we really need to prioritize that? One reasonable voice, finally, that's willing to dissent, I guess, makes it a lot easier to break a split so that you don't need Vice President Harris coming in. So that's important because you want to have some fiscal responsibility. You want someone that's more pragmatic in their approach and to say, do we really need to go further into debt for this? Or what else are you trying to tack on to this? For the longest time, I think Democrats tried to appease Joe Manchin based on the climate plan they want to put forward. The Green New Deal, Part 3 or 4, whatever they're on right now. And because of that, Joe Manchin has received a lot of criticism, but he also understands he wields a lot of power. What's the old Stan Lee, Spider-Man thing? Great responsibility, great power. That's Joe Manchin right now. And because of that... All eyes are on him. New York Times' eyes are on him. So they have Coral Davenport and Lisa Friedman write an article. And this is written in as a news article because one focuses on energy and climate. The other reports on just climate. They had to double-tag-team this one. And when I read this, I thought... You're really putting your reporters on to make it sound like this is a news story as opposed to an editorial or an opinion piece. And I want to read for you the first paragraph, and I want you to judge for yourself and tell me if you think this is an editorial. Now, again, this isn't the climate plan that Joe Manchin said no to most recently. First line, Washington. sound like Larry King there. Washington. First He killed a plan that would have forced power plants to clean up their climate-warming pollution. Then he shattered an effort to help consumers pay for electric vehicles. And finally, he said that he could not support government incentives for solar and wind companies or any of the other provisions that the rest of his party and his president say are vital to ensure a livable planet. Boom, boom, boom. Three sentences. Is that editorial and opinion, or do you think that's news? And part of the problem that we ran into is if you were to look at CNN, I'm just going to use them as an example, because they were the gold standard for presenting news going back to the 1990s. When it came to opinion and editorial, you had Larry King at night, and everyone loved Larry. Really, he was fantastic. And I go back and look at it and say, wow, what a great interview talk show. Because it was clearly different than the rest of the show. They weren't showing the grainy... Uh, Baghdad videos that you saw throughout the 90s that CNN got a lot of notoriety for. It wasn't like that. It wasn't the Desert Storm, anything along those lines. It was, here's clearly a different part of CNN that is meant to be opinion and editorial. And it was great because he interviewed a lot of newsworthy people, but he did it in a way that wasn't always meant to make news. He also interviewed movie stars and celebrities, and it was fantastic. At some point, Larry King retired, and that's when I really look at CNN as, you know what, you gave up. Before, you were struggling, you were going through some growing pains trying to figure out which direction you should go to. Larry King leaves, they try their hand to do the Larry King bit, and it didn't work. You, know, you can't just take a Larry King show and then put in someone other than Larry King. It just doesn't work that way. And ever since then, CNN really had an identity problem. And it kept going and degrading and degrading to the point where their opinion and their news were the same thing. As in, they you couldn't separate the two. For a while there, of course, you can look at Fox News and say they suffer the same problem, except that's part of their brand, right? They look at it as not much of a separation with their nighttime talk show hosts; It's much more programmed that way, which I understand that criticism. Of course, during the day, you have Fox Business, which is a really nice... Network, I like that. MSNBC, very similar to Fox in a way, but on a much more left leaning basis than they have their nighttime talk shows. But then you still have CNN who grabs on to the idea that it's still 1998 and they're back in their glory years and it doesn't work for them. At least their leadership today looks at it, recognizes it. The only way they can actually fix it is by clearing house, which they haven't really done yet, and we're waiting for it. But we're at the point where I think we've been able to recognize the changes in cable news and realize those same changes happen to some of the most respected publications in the world, including the New York Times. And here we are today. We can discuss the politics of a climate bill, which is important. I think we should discuss these things, because ultimately speaking, we don't want to go too far astray and say that we are going to have no regulation whatsoever. In fact, you turn on the spigot inside of your uh, hose, and next thing you know, it's brown water coming out of there because we have no regulation. You know, we don't want those sort of things to happen. But I think there's certain merits to say, do we want to invest money into more solar or more whatever? Do we want to put more incentives... Like we did with Solyndra, if you remember during the Obama administration, to find that the results just don't pay off in the end. I think it's okay to debate those things. What's the safest way to do it? Can you incentivize a company like Tesla? Because Elon Musk has done some pretty amazing things when it comes to electric vehicles and becoming one of the best electric vehicle cars that everyone is loves to drive. They love their brand. That You can look at that and say, how did you encourage a company like that to do it because they had a vision without forcing a company to do it through incentives so they fail because they don't have a vision? There's a fine line between that, and I think there's more nuance to it. Unfortunately, if you're Joe Manchin and you look at it and say, this is a waste, I'm going to side with the Republicans on this, they're going to make it look out that he's the bad guy, when in reality, he's the reasonable guy, and we need more like Joe Manchin and something like that. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in for Jeff Wagner and WTMJ. Shine, shine, shine. It's Ryan Recker in for Jeff Wagner. Thank you for having me in Milwaukee, and it's been fun so far. I wanted to read this one text message that came in. They were at the Bucks viewing party last year, parked a few blocks from the arena, walking down the sidewalk past a homeless woman sitting in a doorway. She'd said something, but we ignored her. About 15 feet later, my heart began to feel the tug. So he dug out five bucks, went back to give it to her. She waved him off and said she didn't want the money. She just needed a hand to help her stand up. I find this to be interesting. How many times do you you ignore someone when they're just asking for help and not money, and you just didn't realize it? I guess that's possible. It's happened a lot to me. So he gives her a hand up, went to give her the money. She refused and just thanked her. refused. They said, hey, thank you. Interesting. Uh, Text message, Ryan, you're doing a great job. Your takes are very... uh, Rapid fire reminds me of Ben Shapiro without quite the edge. Wonderful. That's from Mitch. Thank you for that. Ben Shapiro without the edge. He does speak fast. Someone told me I do speak like I'm from New York, and I'm really not. I grew up outside of Detroit. Now, when I heard that, originally I thought, I need to slow down... In the way that I'm talking right now. But I'm not going to. I'm just going to be me. You know what? You just be you. I'll be me. Thank you for that text message, though. It's very encouraging. I wanted to get to an article that Amazon released. Or at least as part of an investigation. They found out so far in this year, 2022, that Amazon has given the police doorbell videos 11 times without the consent of the owner. This is very concerning to me. I have a doorbell, a ring doorbell, and it's very useful. I only have it looking out onto the street, but it helps give me a little ease of mind. When I hear something, I can pop up the camera and I could see what's out there without actually getting out of bed. Or if I'm in the basement or if I'm somewhere else, if I'm not at home, that helps because, oh, look, a package was delivered. That's nice. Oh, it's just a cat. It's not a neighbor. Everything's fine. Or if someone just so happens to try to solicit to you or pull into your driveway, you'll have record of that just in case. All of those things are great. But you specifically have the ability to tell Amazon if you allow them to share that video with law enforcement. Some neighborhoods love the idea because if there's something that happens, police have another resource to catch someone that may have committed a crime. This would be the evidence they need. And that could be very helpful and I think a lot of times people would voluntarily give up that information without automatically allowing the police to see any video that they want without a warrant so the fact that Amazon has the ability to look at your videos and give it to a third party in this case the government without your permission is extremely concerning to me Amazon makes the argument that the cases they did this in there was someone in immediate danger of death or serious physical injury, and they said this was to try to save someone's life. Obviously, that would be a case where everyone could agree. And I'm going to say no, I don't agree with that, mostly because the discretion would be on the employee of Amazon, and it would be relative to what they think is a level of seriousness. And let me put it this way. What if, let's say, the person from Amazon uses that excuse, but it wasn't a life or death situation, it was just, well, this is what I'm going to check the box to make sure I don't get in trouble. Or, does this also tell you that the cameras inside of your house could be accessible to someone working at Amazon any time of the day? Now, some people do like the ability to look into their home. Let's say you have a cat cam and you want to see what your dog or cat's doing during the day. Or you got little kids and you have it in the playroom and you just want to be able to check in on them to make sure they're, up, uh, they're not up to no good. In some cases, it's useful, but the invasion of privacy is there because they give you the impression they're not going to monitor you when, in fact, now we know there's instances where they absolutely hand over that information. And how many instances... Have they used this and not turned it over to police, meaning that you're just an Amazon Ring employee and you decide, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm bored. I'm going to just go through some random videos and see what's up. How would you like your privacy invaded that way, even if it is on a public area like, let's say, the sidewalk and the cameras pointed out? But still, what if it's beyond that and they're just not telling us because they obviously have the technology and the means to do this and it's already set up? It really does scare me the amount of people that voluntarily hand over their private information online. And it also scares me the people that voluntarily don't care if things like videos inside of their own home could be used in a way where other people can spy on you. Oh, what are they going to see, right? Uh, Nothing to see here. They're not going to find anything. No harm, no foul. If I have nothing to hide, then who cares? You have to scrap that mentality. You have to hold your privacies sacred, That's very important. Trust me on that one. And you don't want the government to invade your private space without search warrants and you knowing about it. That's very important. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in on WTMJ. A couple of text messages. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in. Did someone say I sound like Billy Crystal when I get worked up? That's the first time I've heard that. See, i got a deep voice. I don't necessarily think of... My voice is one that can get high-pitched. Why would you got a deep voice like this? Would you ruin it? Uh, how about this? Uh, a couple of messages on the text line. Is, there, is this only if you're subscribed to their cloud recording service? So talking about the Ring devices, no. I can tell you that you could have access to your videos retrospective, meaning that you might not be signed up for their cloud service, but you have the ability to look at those videos if you sign up for it, meaning that it still saves them, meaning they're there somewhere recorded where Amazon can access it. It doesn't mean that you necessarily have the ability to access it. And think of it this way. Imagine you got one of these cameras in your backyard. Let's say you got a swimming pool, and you and the kids like to go out swimming. How do you like to know some creepy, weird Amazon employee has the ability to see your kids in bathing suits? Tell me that doesn't make you feel all weird about the way that they access these things. Here's another text message. Uh, People need to get over it. Many people have chosen to go down the rabbit hole of video surveillance in every aspect of their life. If they think they aren't being watched in their homes through their camera systems, security systems, smart TVs, and through their computers, then they're living a dream. That's not a bad point. Honestly, there's a lot of devices that have the ability to spy on you. I think it's your job to minimize the amount of those devices that you have. It really does scare me to think that all the new TVs have microphones put into them, right? Because they want the ability to have voice control. And if it's not on the TV, it's on the remote control. That does scare me. You have to do your research to make sure you're not buying those things. Now, the texter... I agree with you. There are opportunities for you to be spied on, but it's your job to make sure you minimize those and are aware of those. I would say it's not a rabbit hole to get down. It is one that you just need to be more aware of in the world that we live in and the way technology is. Another text message, Ryan, did you follow the Ferguson riots? And what comparisons can you draw between Ferguson and the Kenosha riots? um, I was not in St. Louis when the Ferguson riots went on, but there were other riots that happened based on a local case that was an officer by the name of Stockley. There was a retrial of a case that caused some riots. Of course, the Minneapolis trial, and of course, what happened across the nation after Minneapolis and George Floyd. We saw that in St. Louis, too. I'll tell you the big difference between this. When CNN showed up, I don't want to just keep going off on CNN, but this is a good example. When they showed up to Ferguson, they set up their live feed, and they had in the background burning buildings, and it was blood sport for them. They looked at it in a way not to cover the news, but a way to try to further their own causes, their own narratives. The only thing that was missing, and I didn't coin this phrase, but Charlie Ladoff, a journalist that was covering it at the time, did. The only thing that was missing was a big banner that said, CNN for all your rioting needs. That was the only thing missing. I think that was one of the differences, because when Kenosha was covered, it wasn't looked at as entertainment in a lot of different ways. I hope not, at least. So that's one of the differences, I think. I wanted to um, just point this out, because we only have like a minute here. There was a story on WISN ABC 12 of... A local man who was caught for drunk driving. And I just want to point this out. When I was doing research for some of the local news stories that were going on, I thought, why is this one of the top stories on their website? Why are they covering a guy that was arrested for drunk driving? This is locally a Milwaukee man. Third DUI was apparently under the influence when caught. Said he's been drinking since he was nine years old and, quote, drinks alcohol like it's coffee, according to the criminal complaint. Two things to point out here. Number one, if you're ever arrested for something stupid like a DUI or embarrassing, don't come up with a really good funny line for police because that's how you get above the fold. You want to hide that as much as you can. You keep your mouth shut and don't say anything funny or stupid because then you're showing up in all the search engine results. So if someone's trying to hire you and they pop your name in, this is going to come up. Oh, you drink more alcohol than coffee, huh? So I'm just going to give you a word of warning. Learn from this dude. Number two. He's got a big bump on his head. I wish I knew what that was. If I were him, I would encourage, or at least maybe if he was listening, to get that checked out as fast as you can. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff
0: Wagner Show. Now filling in for Jeff Wagner,
2: here's your host, Ryan Recker. Oh, that's so cool to hear that. It's been fun. Thank you for the messages. We're going to take some phone calls here in a moment based on this active shooter alert act that a lot of people are talking about right now. Here's a text message. Ryan, Brewers or Cardinals? I don't know the right way to answer that. I think the right way to answer that is I hate the Cubs. So we got that in common. That's all you really need, right? Another text message. Ryan, would you please give Harrison Bader a message for me? Here it is. You have cool hair. We get it. Okay. Wouldn't we all like hair like that? See, I'm 38. I can't grow hair anymore. Not like that, at least. Do we have a live video feed open? I'm not exactly sure, because I've seen it before. I don't know if they turned it off for me as a guest, but I don't have the long, flowing locks like I used to. But even then, you know, I was in high school in the 90s, so I might have had a bowl cut. I really don't want people seeing that. Harrison Bader hair. That would have been my ticket to cool town. Uh, For once, we agree with Marcus on something. Okay, so a couple of different great text messages that are coming through. Let me point this out. Uh, The phone line's there. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. That's how you can reach the show, as always. The story from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, written by Lawrence Andrea, Wisconsin U.S. Rep. Ron Kind was the only Democrat to vote against a bill aimed at uh, creating a national alert system that would warn people about nearby active shooters. I'm conflicted by this one. But I tend to agree with this representative because I think an alert like this could do more harm than good. So the idea is, during an Amber Alert... If there's a child that is taken, you have the ability to put out an alert to try to help find that child. Mostly, the information is, here's the description of the car, here's the description of the kid, possibly a license plate number. If you see it, call police immediately. That's great. And it's been very helpful, and it's meant to try to quickly locate children who are in the hands of someone that shouldn't have that child. Sometimes it's a misunderstanding, sure, but at least they're on the right path and they're doing it for the right reasons. If there's an active shooter situation, what they want to allow is the police to use a similar, if not same, system to push out an information to everyone's cell phone that says, stay away from this area, active shooter. I look at this and say, this might not be the best idea. Well-intentioned, but not the best idea. And one of the criticisms for this is that essentially you might be doing more harm than good uh, creating a system could generate chaos it may actually cause armed civilians to rush to the scene potentially interfering with law enforcement efforts if you're in a neighborhood and there's a dangerous situation which you want to be alerted to it i think the answer is yeah probably let's say you were planning on taking a walk to the park or you were going to drive your car down a certain route and all of a sudden, this is a dangerous situation. We don't want to put you in harm's way, so we're going to alert you for this. I can see the argument on both sides. But I'm going to tell you, I actually agree with the Democratic representative kind in saying that this will cause more harm than good, and it's not a good idea. You may disagree with me on this one, and I'd like to hear from you. Eight five five six one six one six twenty is the number. You can text message there, too. And I also have been in situations where, not me personally, but I've talked to different people, where they get a message from the school after the fact. Let's say the kids are playing on the playground, and someone fires a gun in a neighborhood close to that school. Let's say it's in a dangerous area, and that happens. You get some insane, crazy, terrible people that would pull the trigger of a gun in proximity to children playing. If it's a playground or if it's a school or a park or anything like that. It's a very scary and dangerous situation because inadvertently you might strike and kill a child. Very dangerous. But you find out about it after. Let's say it was one of your kids on the playground at school. They hear a gunfire. They rush all the kids inside. Would you want to know immediately that happened to your kid? Let's say them rushing for safety inside of a building, or would you rather find out about it after the fact? For me, I think I would want to know right away. That's why I look at this and say, okay, it's well-intentioned. But in today's world with Evaldi in the video footage of the police officers doing nothing, you know exactly what would happen. If there was a instance where there was violence and they said, we're putting out this alert immediately. You know people are going to show up, well-intentioned, and they're going to act like they're Rambo or the, what? diehard McLean, and go into that school. That could absolutely cause more harm than good. So you have to be so careful in these situations. And I would tend to think that it's a worse idea to send the alert out than not send it out. But what do you think on this one? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. It's called the... Active Shooter Alert Act. They passed it through. It looks like it's happening. I think this may be more harmful than good. I'd love to take your calls after the break. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in on WTMJ. Maybe this is an indication that we've lost all confidence that police or administrators would be able to handle this on their own after what we saw in Texas, the terrible tragedy at the school there. It does scare me. It also makes me wonder what type of relationship you may have with your kids, teachers, and administrators. And have you ever eyed them, like, you know, give them up uh, up and down just to see if you think they would be able to have the courage to protect those kids if something went down? Here's a couple of text messages. Um, Don't we already have this bill in place? I've gotten alerts that said large police presence. Please avoid X Street. You know, I've seen those, too, in some ways. It's a different system than, I think, the Amber Alert. I think it's sometimes you're signed up for local text alerts, kind of like severe weather alerts. Sometimes you have different agencies, TV stations, radio stations, that give you the ability to get alerts when there's something coming your way. Sometimes you see things like that, those private text alerts, not necessarily from the government. But that could be true. It might be different here in Milwaukee in a system I'm not familiar with. Here's another text message that came in, and I'd like to hear from you, 855-616-1620. That's the number. If it were my child, I would rush to the scene and do whatever I could to get to my child. And I think that's what the concern is. I don't think the concern is that you would be brave enough to intervene and try to protect your children, because I think anyone listening today would absolutely do that for your kids or your kid's friends if they were adjacent to it, whatever it is, or even any child inside of a school to begin with. But I don't want to run into a diehard situation where we have people crawling through air ducts to try to get to the bad guy inside. Because ultimately, if you're rushing in with your private weapon, that definitely causes more harm than good. And then what the police look at you as the threat. And then you get there, and maybe you want to observe, and it makes things worse too because now you might be in danger. It's tough because now you're talking about your kid's safety and if anything you would do to protect that child. What about the idea when we had confidence that they would take care of this inside of the school? I thought we were talking about securing schools to make sure this wouldn't happen. Training administrators and teachers on what to do, so in case there was an instance where someone was into the school, that shouldn't be there. So we were at least making sure that we were putting ourselves in the best possible situation to react to a problem if all of these other safeties failed. Are we still doing those things, too? One person texted in, after what happened in Texas, I want to know so I can personally go save my child or die trying. It went through. The Active Shooter Alert Act was signed through, and it looks like there were a couple of Republicans that voted in favor of it, uh, 260 to 169. It looks like there was a overwhelming support for it. Now, I don't know how each state is going to set this up to figure out a system, but get used to this. States and technology or government and technology never work at first, so it's also slow. It'll probably take a long time for that, too. Another story I wanted to get to. I am getting killed with this inflation right now. I mean, I am absolutely looking at my bills every single week, uh, every single month, I should say, and it just brings me to tears. I drop to my knees when I see these things and say, "Please, no more of this." You know what my electric bill was this past month? Now in St. Louis, it's been a little bit warmer. The, what was the temperature here in the low 60s in Milwaukee? It's beautiful, wonderful. I can only pray for that type of temperature. We've had a couple of weeks where it was over 100 degrees. If not over 100, it at least felt like it was over 100. And with that, it means your AC is running nonstop. And I'm thinking to myself, my AC was put in in the late 1980s. It's over 30 years old. I'm in trouble because if this thing goes, it's gone. Like, there's no repair in this thing. Like, you're going to find parts for a machine that old. I've had people come look at it, service it, and they say, we don't even know what this part is. Like, there's young technicians that have never seen certain parts. They have to call their supervisor and explain it to them because they've witnessed these things in the past. $385 is really something that I was not expecting to pay. That's the highest. And it's not the highest for everyone. Some people... Online are saying they paid 500 $600 for the past month for their electric bill just based on how they are getting slammed with the amount of A.C. that they're running right now. We have, every time you go to the grocery store, major inflation issues where people are just getting less food because they can't afford it, or luxury items in that sense. They're concerned because they... Don't know where they're going to make up for this because they're already running thin for their budget and their finances It costs more to even travel with gas prices Forget about vacations this year like you're going to be able to do that if you're planning on driving It's going to cost more than you can imagine Every time you go to a restaurant it costs more there's a surcharge here and we have to up the price there And there's all of these other issues facing problems in America The Associated Press put out a story And this is the AP story. Long lines are back at food banks around the U.S. as working Americans, overwhelmed by inflation, turn to handouts to help feed their families. This is a story going back to the coronavirus and how it started. They had emergency funds in place to help feed families that were either laid off with the intention that if you need some extra food, the government's shutting things down. It's not your fault, so we're going to help you in this. That is gone. And believe it or not, it was just a couple of weeks ago that President Biden was mocking Donald Trump for the situation, the exact same situation we're in right here. And sometimes they call it it ages like milk. You know it's gone sour, this take, from President Joe Biden just a couple of weeks ago.
0: Remember those long lines you'd see on the television? People lining up in all kinds of vehicles just to get a box of food in their trunk. How quickly we forget people were hurting. And what did the MAGA crowd want to do? Forget it. Forget it. God, this is the United States of America. The idea that people would have to wait in line an hour, hour and a half to get a box of food in their trunk. It's just unbelievable.
2: All right. Let's see how that aged. Again, headline from the Associated Press. Long lines are back at food banks around the U.S. as working Americans overwhelmed by inflation turned to handouts to help feed their families. Inflation at a 40-year high. Gas prices continue to be over 4 bucks a gallon. What, Or, or if you're lucky, three ninety-nine, dollars You will do a dance outside of your car if you can find it for three ninety-nine. dollars Rent is rising. If you have to move into a new place, you're paying more for that place. You're paying more for groceries. You're paying more for everything. It's not a great time for the American economy. And if you're thinking about retiring, good luck. Don't look at that number right now. There's a hundred things that are going against you right now in Joe Biden's economy. None of them are good. And here he was a couple of weeks ago. Hey, you were waiting in line an hour for food under Donald Trump. Well, just wait and see. Here you are under Joe Biden's administration waiting an hour for food just like then, except there's no help for you this time except at least there was some government money that was helping in that case. And sometimes the schools even put on these food drives because they understood that the kids, since they weren't going into school and they were learning virtually, that they had to supply some nutrition to these kids. A lot of them depended on that lunch. Low-income families depended on that lunch. We're in that same problem again today. It's the summer. And a lot of those families don't know where they're going to get food for their kids. This is where we are. This is sad. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in on WTMJ. Some really good text messages that are coming in. One from Taylor in River Hills. What happened to Texas is clearly an outliner. So the people texting in about taxes, what are you actually going to do when you get there? Um, Oh, texts. I see. So not taxes, texts. Yeah, what are you going to do when you get there? That's a good question. I mean, honestly. Here's another text message. You should stop picking on Joe Biden. I'm sure that every time he or Jill or Nancy Pelosi go shopping or fill up their cars with gas, they are suffering the same high prices we are. (laughs) I'm sure they are, too. Wow, how would you like to fill up Air Force One or one of the limos? What do they call it, the boss or whatever the new presidential limousine is? How would you like to fill that bad boy up? Boy, imagine trying to pay that tab. I have a feeling that Joe Biden hasn't bought anything for himself in an awful long time other than ice cream. And probably not even that. Another uh, text message, and I think the text message that came in was sarcastic, sarcastic, so we'll take that for what it is. I'm guessing every one of the Democrats or liberals that don't think inflation is a big deal for the rest of us, I've never pumped gas, worked an honest job, or bought their own food in their life. No, I. here's the thing. I think sometimes people say, That it's just the price you pay based on the ideology of where I want this country to go. So you can look at some of the factors that are causing these things right now. And you are so inside of the camp of the Biden administration or whatever administration, local governments, that it would concern you that inflation is going on, but not enough to drop your support of that person. I think that happens Across the board in politics, if it was Donald Trump in office and there were some problems, I'm sure you would look at it and say, these are the causes of the problems, but I feel like he's going to get it fixed. I think that's the difference here with Joe Biden. He doesn't want to honestly look at some of the policies that are making it harder for this to get fixed, realizing that he is the one in the way to get it fixed, because ultimately speaking, he has a different agenda. And those things that are in the way are the things that he wants to accomplish. So in the meantime, you're just going to have to suffer. And that's the thing they don't want to say out loud. But in a lot of ways, that's exactly what's happening. So I get it. And I I, under, no, I, I wouldn't just broadly categorize Democrats or liberals in that way when it comes to them not realizing inflation is a big deal. I think a lot of them are online complaining about their rent going up and not going down. That is just common at this point. So when we come back, there's a few other things I want to get to. There was another story out there. This has to do about education. In Arizona, they have dropped the bar. You do not need an education, or at least a college education, in order to be hired as a teacher in Arizona. This is concerning and scary to a lot of different people. I, for one, think we should start encouraging more real-life people to get into the schools. I mean, how often have we found that people just go completely unprepared for what real life is going to throw at them? I want a real-life teacher in there teaching my kids, someone that's going to show them the way. It doesn't necessarily come from a college education, but we're going to talk about that right after the break. We
1: don't need no
2: Perfect song for this segment. Nice. Here's a article from Salon. It's a pretty left-leaning publication. if you, That's what you want to call it, a publication. I think most of what they do is digital anymore, but... It's an interesting argument. So they're critiquing this new Arizona law that says, if you want to be a teacher in Arizona, you no longer are required to have a college degree. It means that they've lowered the bar because there are less people getting into the field, and because there are less people, they need to find new ways to recruit. And we've lowered the bar in so many other different ways, and I don't mean that as a negative per se. Like, for example, if you think about the military today, you can have tattoos when you couldn't have that before, right? Or law enforcement. If you wanted to become a police officer before, they had, okay, you can't have the tattoos, but now you can. I think most areas have found different ways to get around low recruitment numbers. In St. Louis, one of the issues is that no one wants to, you know, put their life on the line because that's what you're doing in St. Louis for, you know, forty grand or whatever it is for a starting police officer. So they said, okay, you can live outside the city. Before there was a requirement that you had to live in the city that you serve. Now you don't have to, and it still didn't really pick things up. I guess pay is a big part of it. If you are trying to get a job in Arizona and they don't pay that well for being a teacher, then it's harder to recruit because there may be other private entities that are hiring. Catholic school or charter schools, whatever it is, there may be other opportunities for you. And that means your public school teacher really has to have the heart for it or maybe have some sort of connection, and that's how you find the next person because there's just not naturally coming to it. So part of the problem that they saw was that maybe it's because the bar is set too high when it comes to the education required so you just have to be attending a college course meaning that you might be in college taking a course uh... you know night course once a week and that will make it possible for you since you're working for your degree allegedly to become a teacher in arizona this is what i would say don't discount those without a college education so quickly I think that the life lessons you would learn from most people are coming from those without college education. Think about your parents. Did they go to college? What life lessons did they teach you as their kid versus some of the life lessons your teachers may have taught you in class? And I understand you may have some great teachers in your life, those that are memorable and those that stand out. You may call them the greatest teacher in the world. And they may have taught you something very important, or they may have impacted your life in a very positive way. But I will say this. Um, the life lessons I've learned from people without a college education are much higher than that, in any anyone that I've ever had in school. And I will also say, let's say you're a shop teacher. If I walk in, I'm not expecting that shop teacher to have a college education. I just want them to know how to use a saw without chopping off my finger. I want that. Or how about this, if they're a gym teacher or anything else. In some ways, I would even propose that schools should have teachers with street smarts more often. Maybe a quota system. How about every school have at least a couple of teachers there that have no college education, and they could be the ones to teach Financial literacy courses. Why? Because maybe they're the ones smart enough not to put themselves into massive debts to get a low-paying job to begin with. I'm not saying that to insult teachers. Maybe that came out wrong. What I'm saying is sometimes those that have it together are those without a college education. It doesn't necessarily mean everyone with a college education has it together. And we need to find ways to celebrate that because they can teach kids. They they have a, a very important lesson that they could teach kids. Do you think it's necessary to have a college education in order to teach children? What do you think? What do you think? I think that, you know what, go for it. Uh, More power to you. Why? Because a lot of these private entities don't always require it either. Because this is more of a public school problem than it is anything else. Let's say you go to a religious institution. It doesn't have to be Catholic, but it could just be someone that is, you know, faith-based school. They don't have it. And you know what? Those kids come out of it with a great education. And rightfully so, because they have other motivations to try to get that kid educated in a godly way, per se. But it could be done in other ways, too. Not in the public school system, of course. Here's the phone number. It is 855-616-1620. Should you have a college education to be a teacher? In Arizona, they say, no, you don't need one. And you know what? It's not the worst idea I've heard. In fact, I'm perfectly fine with it. I'm Ryan Recker filling in. On WTMJ no Arizona agrees salon is not happy about it and part of the reason I think they're unhappy about it is because they feel the attack on schools this is their take on it not mine but they feel there's too many conservatives that are pushing back they don't like the idea that they're getting and meddling in in what is being taught inside of the classrooms. And they also, I think, resent the fact that charter and private schools for years were not requiring certification in order to run or teach inside of the school. Voucher systems are becoming more popular, and they see that as a threat to public schools. There's a couple of ways to remedy that. If you live in a poor district and they pay the teachers the minimum, whatever the lowest could be, then you're going to find that that's what you're going to be attracting, unfortunately, unless they have the heart of gold. Some of these different areas, if you live in a richer area, more taxes and more resources are put into those areas. You may have a much higher end uh, ability to bring in a teacher that is very qualified and, in fact, above qualified because they would like to work for more money because their services and their skills demand that sort of thing. So what does that mean in the end? Let's say you're looking at the poorest school districts and they are hurting and struggling and they can't recruit and they're taking anyone they can. Wouldn't you want to broaden the scope of who you would bring in in order to try to give the best chance of that kid to succeed? And I want to point this out too. Just because you're lacking a college education does not mean you are unqualified for the job. I feel the ability for you to go and interview and show your qualifications, your background and what you've done with your life may be enough for me at least. do the background check still too, just to make sure. Acunet mortgage, talk and text line 8556161620. Maybe you object to this, and I'd love to hear why. Why do you think that it is 100 percent necessary all the time to have a college education, no matter what your job is if you're teaching kids in a school? Here's a couple of... Uh, oh, so many text messages coming in right now. Here's a text message that says, college education is a must. I think we skip licensing. That's a money grab. Okay, make it easier that way. It says, I'm 52 and didn't go to college and started my masonry company in 99, still going strong, over 100 new construction homes this year with $1.5 million a year in sales. That's awesome. I'll tell you what, if you're teaching a business class... This is who I'd want teaching the business class. You know, in that movie Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield, and the teacher's up there, and he's like, okay, this is how you teach business. And Rodney's like, oh, you you got to gotta grease the commissioner, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. And he's like, this is how real-life experience goes. I would rather someone learn from someone who has done it in the real-life scenario because I think they're going to give you a better account how to be prepared in the real world. And that's important, because that's not just in business. That can apply to many other subjects, I believe. Here's a couple of more text messages. One guy does not like what I'm saying, okay? Um, I want my kid's science teacher to have a college degree, not just someone who bought a box of fireworks. Okay, then maybe you find that some subjects are more important than others to have a college degree. Says, okay. Here's a great text message. This is a long one. Our society is too fixated on how we look. If you don't go to the most prestigious college, you can get into. My daughter just graduated high school, and no one but myself explained the cost of college to her. I showed her the current interest rate and the interest added every month on a hundred thousand dollar loan balance. Ugh! Don't even say that. A hundred thousand dollars. I have kids that are seven and one. I can't imagine how expensive this is going to be when they're older. They better get a scholarship. Okay, but continuing with the text. As long as we're pushing kids to look at the level reached versus rate of return in our education, we'll keep pushing better and naive young teachers into schools. I say hire adults who have been through failure and success. They know best those adults were the best teachers in my school career see that has some wisdom in fact a lot of wisdom into it and i think that's how we should be approaching it those that have had failures and came back from it they've learned a lesson or two that you can teach on to the next generation so they don't have to have the same failures or maybe part of learning is just failing and that's the only way you do learn Uh, Here's another text message. Here in Wisconsin, in order to teach in public school, not only do you need a four-year degree, you must have a four-year degree with a specific educational curriculum. So, again, a lot of barriers in that case. Another text message. I must agree with you about some people without college education being the most apt to teach good financial literacy. I had a home care patient who had a third-grade edu- education who took care of herself and her son who was disabled on a $1,000 a month. They did have energy assistance and Medicaid. Um, so, interesting. Okay, another text message. Your faith-based schools kick our children with behavior and learning issues. Our public schools would do very well if they did that. So, maybe that is a lost-in-translation deal with that one. I don't know if faith-based schools kick children. That would be quite the disciplinary actions. When I was in Catholic school, this was back in the late 80s, early 90s. I was right on the tail end of nuns. And there was all the stories about the nuns and the wet noodles and the nuns taking you out back and you know showing you the business. Like my dad went to Catholic school in the 1960s. And he said, those nuns with a ruler in the back of your knuckles, they had no reservation. You looked at them the wrong way, they got you there. So I don't know if you're messaging faith-based schools kicking in that reference or not, or that was just a text message translation that didn't really carry over. I'm Ryan Recker. We're going to talk more about this on WTMJ, coming up next. Some really good text messages coming in. Here's a text message. Bring back all the shops, electric, metal, wood, auto, back into schools. Yes, these are really important skills that I think are lacking in some children. So hopefully there are schools that do actually have shop class. And I've seen some different districts put on a shop class where all the schools kind of share the resources, meaning they go out of their regular school, they travel the kids to a special school for it. That is fantastic. I would love and encourage that for any school. Uh, Let's see. I work with people who I think would make good tech ed teachers, but I'm not telling them that because they're good colleagues. Yeah, you don't want to lose the good ones. Uh, here's another text message. Maybe there will be less brainwashed communists teaching our kids <laughs> the indoctrination that goes on on college campuses. You know, it makes me wonder. It, it, it does make me wonder. Here's another one. Mike and Marquette. My dad only had an associate's degree with no teaching background, but he's certified master mechanic and former dealership owner. For over 40 years, he taught me the auto shop classes, and that's important. Think about the way people look at technology, and they're just, like, so enameled. Enamored, I should say with technology that they learn programming on their own they don't have a college education for it or even some sort of bachelor's degree or some sort of associate's degree but they wanted to learn it in their computer nerds and they know everything there is about it but they don't have the college degree that goes along with it you can learn a lot from those people they may have been self-taught now in science probably not. They probably aren't self-taught. You know, the guy that, what did the one texter say, bought the box of fireworks. But if you're a programmer and you just learned it on your own, the programming language, you might not have the degree to back it, but you might be one of the best in the business because of it. Let's go to Jeremy, who's calling in. Welcome to WTMJ. Hi, thanks, thanks for taking my call.
1: I don't see an issue up to a certain grade level for, for an individual, if you have the aptitude, to teach. Uh, first grade and up, you know, maybe up to a middle school level uh, of certain classes and curriculums. Let's be honest, most public schools uh, in the classroom, you're barely getting through half the book. Hmm. Um, and if you're teaching it six six hours a day to different students or whatever, it's repetitive nature. It's you pretty much can regurgitate the, the curriculum in your sleep after a certain amount of time. So maybe being a teacher's aide. Under under the tutelage of a teacher for maybe a couple of years, mm-hmm. and then you know uh, test into it possibly as far as yeah I'm able to teach a first grade level mathematics test or a second grade level math. I don't see any reason why you couldn't do that. You don't necessarily need a four year bachelor's or a ten year master's degree to teach. 13-year-olds pre algebra
2: You know, that's an interesting point because going back to the Obama administration, do you remember when they were trying to push Common Core and the way of thinking about mathematics and whatnot? And a lot of times as an adult, you would look at that and say, wow, that is so many extra steps to add 2 plus 2 to try to teach a child a certain thing. Maybe the part of this is maybe they want to teach kids in a certain way, and they want it to be uniform, and in order to do that, you have to be trained. But ultimately, the kids are going to suffer there because there might be easier and better ways in a lot of subjects.
1: Right, we have apprenticeship programs all over the place for people to learn uh, with mathematical aptitudes for AC, HVAC, things like that. You know, you you get under the tutelage of a, a seasoned veteran, learn the ropes, learn the industry, learn how to install, learn how to service these things, do some. Uh, additional classes take some testing that state certified testing for requirements but you can do it and become a very good you know hvac installer and or service technician based under those circumstances i don't see why you couldn't apply that to to uh, grade school through middle school level education
2: sure thank you jeremy yeah i think when you're at that level it's a whole different deal because you're going to have to deal with some crazy kids it takes a whole different type of person in a lot of ways a college education is not going to teach you how to deal with a bunch of seven-year-olds running around and going crazy. That's life experiences. One other text message that came in, and I think this could be very true from Jeff. Most certified teachers are probably going to argue against that by default because they don't want to invalidate their degrees. Is it all for not if you went to school? Probably not. If anything, if you're going to school only because you feel that it's the only chance you have... Um, as opposed to actually learning life lessons, bettering yourself. And in some cases, if you're going for a doctorate, bettering the world, it depends on what your motivations are. Maybe you just want to give the best experience to those kids. And the way that you feel the best way of doing that is to go through college traditionally, then more power to you. You're absolutely able to do that. I don't think you exclude someone without a college education. I also don't think you should look, at, uh, look down on them for not having a college education. All right, we have one more hour coming up after the break. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in for Jeff Wagner. You're listening to WTMJ. I am from the Annex Wealth Management Studios. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. Now filling in for Jeff Wagner, here's your host, Ryan Recker. So cool to hear the voice guy say my name like that. Another hour filling in, and it's been an awesome honor to be here in Milwaukee with you today. Let me point out another story that seems to surface every once in a while, and it's this idea that there's a universal basic income out there for everyone. Was it Andrew Yang who ran for the presidency as a Democrat? His whole idea was we need to start getting money out to people immediately. So if you're under a certain income, What was it, $1,000 a month? In a lot of ways, politicians always like to dangle that carrot. They say, if we can just give out free everything, then they'll vote for us. And that is a very strong argument for some people. Now, think about the promises that were made under Joe Biden as president. In a lot of ways, you heard Democrats saying that with Joe Biden in, we're going to forgive student loan debt or we're going to, fill in the blank there's a lot of things that could happen now for the case of joe biden he wasn't always on board with these things but they gave the impression that there's going to be enough people further left than he is that would get the job done that's not what we're seeing here luckily in a lot of ways i'm so happy that's not what we're seeing right now i don't think a universal basic income is a good idea i don't think student loan forgiveness is a good idea and they try to tout the benefits of these things, as in there's going to be more societal benefits if you were to forgive the loans or just give free money out to everyone that wants it, then there would be a downfall. I would argue that absolutely not is the case. Now, let's look at all the money that the government gave out during the virus. We had two stimulus packages that gave money out to everyone that qualified. And the qualifications were, pff, what, as a couple you can make under 300000 a year and you still got money? Give me a break. You know, you're, you could be making $150,000 a year and still qualify for federal free money during these stimulus packages. A lot of people looked at that and said, how are you helping the young individual? The, the, the Excuse me, not the young, but how are you helping the poor individuals out there? So we gave all this money out. We did it again. People that got the money were happy because they spent it on whatever luxury items they want. Now here we are in July of 2022. Inflation is as high as it's ever been, and even higher than any other point in my lifetime. And it's not getting any better. And one of the things that compounds the problem is that the Biden administration at this point does not have a real answer to fight this. Now, they raised interest rates late, maybe not soon enough to try to do it. And we're going to find other problems with rising interest rates, including people losing their jobs in the near future. That's just what happens. But you got to contract the economy somehow to try to get things back on course. And while this is happening, people are looking at it and saying, well, maybe just printing an endless amount of money wasn't a good idea. Maybe giving out an endless amount of money wasn't a good idea because we just can't afford it. And we know it's going to come back and bite us at some point. So where does that lead us today? In Madison, this happened just within the last couple of weeks. Madison has provided... For 155 families for a year, universal basic income in the sense that they're going to be handing out $500 a month, no strings attached, meaning that we're going to identify very low-income families, and we're just going to hand out $500 a month and see what happens. So there's a few questions. One. Will the money be used responsibly? So is it going to be used to try to pay off some debt, and that way they're not paying as much because there's not much of an interest rate on it anymore, or maybe get themselves out of debt? Will $500 a month over the course of a year, $6,000, be able to help you with something like that? You know, maybe. If I'm guessing if you're in debt, $6,000 would help. In some cases, it won't do a lot if you have student loans, for example, or a car loan, for example, that you're underwater. Will they be more responsible in the future, knowing that they could perhaps build up a little nest egg? Sight unseen. We don't know. Any of these things could happen. And in this case, it's the government handing out money to families. It's their money at that point. They can do whatever they want. But if you're looking at societal benefits, we need to find out, is this actually going to help things? Or are we going to find that it's just going to be making up for high inflation, or is it going to be making up for high gas prices, or is it going to be making up for loss of employment because the person lost their job because of rising interest rates and people are just spending less at businesses and because people are spending less there's not a need for as many employees and companies contract. This is the fear that's going to happen with these interest rates rising and people spending less because of inflation. All of these things are concerning. In the city of Milwaukee, Your mayor is looking at this and saying, well, maybe we put on a pilot like Madison. Maybe this will be beneficial for anyone out there for some of the low-income families. I'm going to warn you right now. This is what's going to be the hard balancing act. Is the money going out the door to these families the highest priority you think for those families right now? Maybe for their sake and from their perspective, yes. But do we have the money in the individual cities to do this? And should the money be directed in other ways? Is that the most responsible use of your taxpayer money? Without knowing there's actual benefits to this. If anything, I think the best thing you can do, if you are the government, is find a way to get out of the way of people. And if you have the opportunity and you have a giant surplus, the best thing to do is to back away on some of the taxes you pay as a lower income and then use that to try to let the person earn more and then keep more of what they earn. I think these are the things that you should be focusing on right now. A couple of different things you can do if you want to reach the show. I'd love to hear from you in this last hour from the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in on WTMJ. There's some really good text messages that are coming in that... I want to read one said it will not be free. Free money does not get used responsibly. We saw that during the COVID and stimulus money, how many people went on vacation or bought cars versus paying their mortgage or the rent. I will say, at least for me, I was able to work throughout the virus. And even when there were uh, people getting laid off, I fortunately was still working and we received those stimulus money, even though since I was working, I didn't technically need it to make up for a loss of work we did use it on a vacation my, I took my family to Disney but I will point this out the only debt I have is my mortgage we've been very responsible financially and we decided you know what this might be our only opportunity to use it now let me point this out real quick and I think that this is an, a, a very interesting point point. and I'm, I'm just gonna try to I'm gonna say this and I'll be sensitive when I say it but when you receive the stimulus money if maybe you in the audience received it I think it is inevitable that we knew at some point printing out endless money would not end well for us. How many of you put money aside to try to offset some of the inflation that we knew would happen based on this coronavirus spending packages? I think we're smart and we understand the way that these things work, and we knew that there would be repercussions down the line for this endless amount of spending. How many of us were responsible enough and said, you know, we're going to save this for when the inflation hits that way we won't get hit as hard I'm going to guess no one raises their hand there I think they use the money in all different ways so I guess in the strictest sense maybe no one was responsible with this money here's a text message get a job (laughs) okay that's one way here's another text message it's probably about 50% of the money went to drug dealers and liquor stores I wouldn't say that's true I mean there's a possibility of it there too Let's take a call. Gary, welcome to WTMJ. Hello, Gary.
0: Hey, good afternoon. How you doing? Good. Go ahead. Good. Interesting conversation. And I guess I want to start by saying, you know, this is one of the I'm kind of shocked by some of the comments that that I just heard from some text messages. But I want to say that, you know, that's just hateful. That's just hateful, stupid, stupid talk right there. But I want to say I really enjoy your radio station because even being a conservative station, you guys kind of you're you're balanced and and i appreciate that and i respect that and i was going to say that i kind of like the idea you said about lowering taxes so that people can keep more money in their pockets I know. I mean, I know that would have to go through the legislative process. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, I mean, we, we get we get killed we get killed with paying taxes. Well, how about I this?
2: Mean, Let me propose it. Because know. when you file your federal taxes, is it the first twenty thousand as a married couple or go on tax? I don't know. I can't remember what the threshold is currently. But what if you say the first thirty thousand? You know, in that way, if you're making less than thirty thousand, you're going to hit the most benefit from this. You're going to actually benefit those that are lower income. That's the only way you could really do it. I think.
0: Yeah, uh, so I mean, and, and that was my comment. I mean, I I, I like that idea. You know, it was, there were a lot of people that I mean, there were a lot of people that were working, and, and the virus came around that just destroyed them, and they weren't you know, living off of the government behind or whatever people want to say. They were they were hardworking Americans, and it just kind of destroyed them. You know, all money wasn't spent bad. Like the money that I got, I saved it. I didn't I didn't spend any of it. I didn't need to obviously. I was blessed enough to be able to keep my job, you know, mm-hmm. So, Good. but everybody's not in that situation. That's one of the things that I can say that I, I liked about Trump is quote unquote, you know, America first, you know, I mean, i look at all the money we're sending to Ukraine right now. And, you know, we want to squabble about helping them, help, helping America. Some Americans that need help were hardworking folks before the virus hit. And you know, this downturn. So, okay. you know, everybody that's getting the money, it's not just, trying to leak. You know what I'm saying? Got so, it. Right. But I, the Great conversation. I enjoy your radio station.
2: Thanks, Gary. Appreciate that. That's very nice. Let me point this out too when it comes to student loan forgiveness and the problems that we could run into considering all of these loans are backed by the government. Most of them, we'll say a lot of them. But The big argument was, if you receive a college education, you are probably going to earn more money than those who do not receive a college education. You're going to be in a position, if you were in college to begin with, at least had a backer to those loans, so you're able to better yourself. And because you have more ability to learn and you probably have other resources behind you, then you are the ones that are going to benefit in the long run from that education. Now, let me put it this way. Let's say they do drop the student loans. Who have you helped? Well, you're going to help those with having a higher income, have a better support system, and have more ability to earn throughout their lifetime. And you're going to hurt the ones that decided to stay away from the college because they couldn't afford it. So ultimately, you are hurting more low-income families by dropping the college education loan. And that's what a lot of times the argument is against student loan forgiveness and I could say the same thing for taxes just like our last caller and I can look at it and say it doesn't necessarily have to be a responsibility issue for the money that goes out there all I need to know is that you're helping the right people with this and there's no way to tell because even those that have been studied There's no way to tell if that's actually going to benefit them. It's all speculation in small sample sizes when there are those studies. So it's important to say that. You can't just automatically say this is going to help people. There have been other studies, too, and I know that the homeless are in a completely different situation, but they've done pilot programs for homeless people and saying, we're just going to give you this money, no strings attached. Guess what? They were still homeless at the end of the program. Now, I'm not saying that a regular individual family who's not homeless and doesn't have other baggage or issues that may be attached to it, would act the exact same way. But what I'm saying is, we don't really have a way of telling. So I want to make sure that this taxpayer money is being used responsibly and it's actually helping people, and I think there's better ways to do it. And I think a lot of other people would agree. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in on WTMJ. Really good text messages. We're not going to talk about this long, but I just want to catch up. One person said they bought a two-foot-tall statue of Kurt Russell with their first stimulus check. Okay, I mean, is that really the best way to spend the money? But it's your money, right? (laughs) Kurt Russell. Why Kurt Russell, of all people, even? Here's one person texted in. Um, The program is private, not tax money. I think when you find this in a lot of different cities, they argue they could use stimulus money for something like this because, oh, it's a health epidemic right now, and this would actually help people be more healthy. There's different cities that do it different ways, even if it is private money. This is different, I guess, in like Madison's case. But if you're looking at it from Milwaukee and you're thinking about spending money, anything when the government's involved in the mayor's looking into it, then, okay, well, if the mayor is controlling it, or at least the government is controlling it, then there is some government interest. Uh, here's another text message. Um, if you're homeless and receive a government stipend of 5,000... Oh, I, I just lost it. Sorry, the text message just jumped. Oh, there's the Kurt Russell statue. Thank you for that. Uh, You're still homeless. Okay, $5,000 won't do much. Okay, I see that text message. One other thing was why not use this money on utilities, water, gas, electric? So essentially, instead of giving out gas, what about coupons for use of utilities? That's an interesting concept, almost like government cheese or food stamps for utilities. I don't know if that would work. In some ways, it might. Here's the thing that you would find. I think that if it wasn't a regulated industry, like, you know, the electric rate you pay, for the most part, is regulated. They may petition and say they want to raise the rate, but there has to be a reason for it. And the way energy prices are today, you know the next time any energy company petitions, they're going to get it, because they'll be justified to look at what's going on with the economy and everything else with inflation today and Obama's economy, excuse me, with President Biden's economy and not really fighting this aggressively. So, we're we're going to be in trouble. But, Think of it this way. If it's any other thing that's unregulated and they're giving out vouchers for it, what's going to happen to that market? Well, the prices are going to jump like crazy because there's going to be more money into it. There's going to be as the same amount of competition but more money into the pot. You know they're going to ask for more money then. So you got to be careful because you don't want to drive the prices up for everyone just having handing out vouchers. I wanted to also look at Summerfest. Obviously, I don't live in Milwaukee. Well, maybe it's not obvious maybe i haven't checked in with you i'm ryan Recker, filling in for jeff wagner today i don't actually live in milwaukee so i don't get to go to things like Summerfest. i know a lot of people travel from out of town and they do enjoy the festivities for it and a lot of people have been talking about the attendance so you try to find the best way to phrase it where are the successes where are the failures what are things can we do better for next year and when you have a giant festival like that You're starting immediately. You don't have much time to rest because something like this on this scale is pretty grand. Now, let's look at it this way. The big debate was, and you've even heard it in the news. You may hear it again. Do you keep it to the weekend or do you go back to the more traditional schedule where you have it throughout the week? I think about it, at least from my standpoint. I have young children, and when we go to events, the thing that we think of is, I want to go on the day with the least amount of people. I don't want there to be a lot of distractions. I'm watching my kids. I don't want them to get shuffled in. I want it to be safe for them, and I want it to be convenient because it's already stressful enough when you got a 7- and a 1-year-old. So I want to go on the day where there's not a lot of people so we still can enjoy it and do things during the day but not have to fight everyone. To me... You stay away from the weekends if that's the case. And if you want to attract people like me, you're going during the week during the summer. I might take a day off of work and enjoy it with the family, whatever it is, because it's something special. So that's the type of people, when you don't have a full week schedule, that you're pushing away. Because then they're going to have to consider, do I really want the hassle of watching a 7- and a 1-year-old with massive crowds funneled into just a couple of days over the weekend? And some people may look at it and say, weekend I got plans, you know, it was nice to be able to go during the week and parking was a little bit easier and the attendance was a little bit lower, but I still got the full feel for it and I still got the food that I wanted, all of those luxuries that come along with it. I think that the argument of bringing it back to a full week is going to be a strong one in the future. They're really going to have to consider because they're going to have to find out would they rather cut some of the expenses of a week long event if it meant more people or do they want to keep it? shorter on the weekend, spread out over a couple of weeks, if it meant that they're going to compress it, and they'll probably save money because they're going to be staffing appropriately as opposed to overstaffing during the week when there's less people. It's just one of those balancing acts that they're going to have to figure out. And I'm curious how they're going to play it. But either way, what an awesome thing to have in the community. I think everyone here could all agree, Summerfest is one of those wonderful Milwaukee things, that they want to be here forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. ever. (laughs) I just want to say thank you guys for making this easy today. I've had fun the last two and a half hours. I'm Ryan Recker. For one more half hour with you on WTMJ, Mabel texted in that parking was $60 on Saturday at Summerfest. Oh, boy, $60. So you peel out the purse or the wallet, and you just have a bunch of 20s. You're like, here's a 20, and here's a 20, and here's another 20. I bet you found a way to pack everyone into that car. You got about 12 adults in there sitting on each other's laps, just trying to save money getting into the Summerfest. I do want to thank everyone that's messaging in the nice words. They're saying, oh, you're doing a great job. Thank you. This is a lot of fun. A few things I wanted to get to. Uh, this is not, I don't mean this in a political way. I just look at this and say, the people that surround you in a campaign are important because... They are putting things out on your behalf, and I'm going to guess this is one of those scenarios that's awfully embarrassing and tacky, and it happened to be with the former president, Donald Trump. So his ex-wife, Ivana Trump, passes away at the age of 73. Real sad. From what we understand, they had a really good relationship, and we know that people that have had other past relationships with Donald Trump don't always say the nicest things about him. But she always did, and she was the mother of the children, and they seemed to get along, and that's nice. When she passed away, a lot of people came out and said really nice things, including Donald Trump, who said she was a wonderful, beautiful, and amazing woman who led a great inspirational life. Her pride and joy were her three children, Donald Jr., Ivanka, and Eric. She was so proud of them as we were all proud of her. Rest in peace, Ivana. And then underneath it, there was a message that said, donate to my campaign. So, to me, that's really tacky. Now, obviously, Donald Trump isn't putting out messages through his donor email list, Obviously, someone else is writing that for him. And that message may have very well been written by him. But you know he's not on the computer through, uh, what's that one, oh, I can't remember. It's like, um, there's there's all kinds of different email services that help you get emails out in mass to groups of people. And you know he's not logging into that website and managing that. So someone else is doing that. They should have known better because that looks so bad and so tacky to put out a message to your Ex-wife, the mother of your children, someone that you care about still, into into see. Oh yeah, we're going to use this as an opportunity to donate. Ugh, not in the not in the right context. There, yikes. Here's a story too about Harley Davidson. I have paid attention to the right to repair for a while really this started with Apple computers and the right to repair is one that's pretty simple if you own a piece of technology or a car or a motorcycle or whatever that is the idea is you have the ability to repair that without going into the manufacturer in Apple's case. Let's say there was a problem with your laptop, you bring it into their genius bar, they look at it and they say, oh, you're just going to have to buy a new laptop. You go down the street to a computer repair shop, they open her up, and they'll say, oh, no, 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 um, it's just this one wire came loose, it's $30 to fix it and you're fine. There's a big discrepancy a lot of times. Apple makes the argument that if you were to buy third-party parts, Or have someone that's uncertified working on your computer, it could be a danger for you. Your battery might explode after all, so we need you to come in and have it fixed by our people. And in some cases, we'll even tell you to throw it away when actually it's still good. People become skeptical. If you own a car, you should be able to do the work on your car without voiding the warranty on the car. If you know how to do a brake job, you should be able to do the brake job on your car. If you know how to change the oil, you should be able to do that. Tesla is notorious for not allowing you to do your own repairs. They say that because of the battery on the thing, you have to take it into a service tech even to do the easiest of repairs. And if you decide to otherwise repair something without their technician, they'll disable features on your car until you take it into the shop, their shop, to fix it The what they say, quote-unquote, right-way is. We see that Harley-Davidson was fined by the FTC for violating the right to repair law. And when I read into this a little bit further, they say things like putting aftermarket tires voided your warranty? Uh, No, it shouldn't be like that. In fact, if you own the product, you should be able to repair it. That's a fundamental thing about your property is that you have the right to control it. We've seen that other companies, I can't remember who it was. Was it Audi or BMW or whatever it is? They want you to pay extra for the heated seats. Just recently that came up. They want you to pay $7 a month for the right to be able to use one of the features that are built into your car. That's ridiculous. Some of these companies have this idea that they own you after the purchase. It is so dumb that things that are built in... You'll have to be upsold for it. I don't want that to be the future of technology. I don't think it should be like that, too. So Harley-Davidson's one. There was another argument that was made by John Deere for a while, too. So John Deere made the argument that, well, you might be able to repair some things on your tractor, but we're afraid that you're going to change the computer components of it, and that way the way your John Deere works may not be in compliance with government regulation. So you're not allowed to repair it because then you might be in violation of the standards of whatever. So you might be driving it too fast or you might have too many emissions coming out of it. And that's what their argument was for your own good, so you don't get fined by the federal government. Uncle Sam doesn't come knocking and asking for an inspection. I debunk that, too. I think in a lot of ways you should be able to repair Parts on a John Deere. All of these things. But a lot of the companies realize this is such a big revenue source for them, they don't want to give up on that. But this is where we are today. I just wanted to bring that up real quick. I have a whole stack of paper of topics I didn't get to here today. A whole stack. How am I going to get through all of these? I guess you're going to have to wait and find out. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. And I'm Ryan Recker. Welcome back. Thank you for all the text messages on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line 855-616-1620. One person disagrees. They say regarding right to repair, yes, it is dangerous to put aftermarket tires on Harley. I, I kind of look at that and say, I don't know if I 100% believe that. I could guess there would be tires that are dangerous, per se. But it doesn't mean that all the aftermarket tires are dangerous. I'm assuming that some of them are made specifically for that Harley, meaning that they're made with the specifications that the Harley-recommended one would also be able to apply. And I think a lot of times we run into that, to think that the manufacturer is the only one capable of making a certain product. There's a lot of... Okay, maybe electronic-wise... Batteries inside of an Apple phone, they'll say if you buy a third-party product, it could blow up, and we don't want to be responsible for that. Tesla, same thing. It could blow up. We don't want to be responsible. I understand that sort of argument, but then there's a lot of instances where it's, okay, Forget. Okay, we'll take the battery out of the equation. There's a lot of things that you can do on here that are very simple fixes that really have no consequence to the safety of the product, but you just don't allow me to do it because you don't draw any uh, line. It's either everything or nothing. Couple of other text messages. Uh, thank you for all the kind words. Oh, here's one: parking in the Summerfest lot was twenty five dollars. The other texter may have been in a private lot. Have a good weekend. You too. It does make me wonder what kind of service you get for sixty dollars to park at Summerfest. Do they actually pick you up, piggyback ride you to the front gates for that? I would hope so. Sixty dollars. Does that did they hire an Uber from the $25 lot and then you upcharge you to drive you closer to the front? Is that what's going on? Makes me wonder. They're carrying you around. They're like in a stretcher or something like you're the ark of the covenant and you're sitting on top of the throne while they walk you to the front gate. That's what I would expect for $60. Okay, thank you for that one too. Uh and then there's some other really nice text messages. Just asking about me. Currently, I don't work at any radio station, so WTMJ invited me in to fill in because I have the availability to do it, and I'm completely honored to have that chance here with you today on Milwaukee. It's been a lot of fun. My first show on WTMJ. This is super cool. I get to check something off the radio nerd list. In my, I've always wanted to do something like this. So let's – another technology story. I think this is important to point out. Big tech companies are being monitored by the government. Normally, I would say that government overreach and the government getting into the business of companies is a bad thing. But I see the way that a lot of these large tech companies are taking advantage of people, taking advantage of their privacies. And there's not a lot of literacy when it comes to technology. People just think everything's all hunky-dory. And they don't realize the downside, what some of these companies are doing behind the scenes. The Department of Justice is expected to file an antitrust lawsuit against Google in a few weeks. And this is from a document from Reuters. The idea is that they use their dominance for online marketing. And I 100% know this is true. Google and companies like that have been fined in Europe because they have a lot higher standards and they have more consumer protections built into the law so you are not taken advantage of by these giant tech companies. So here's the case of what happened in Europe, and they've tried to do this in the United States multiple times but have been unable to do so. But essentially, if you go to Google and type something in, like you're searching a good or product, Google has the ability to recommend services or businesses based on advertising so they'll push their own advertisers up to the top and that influences search rankings i think that's understood because they disclose that as an ad here's what was happening in europe not really a disclosure thing And on top of that, they were only promoting those that they were associated with financially. And that broke European law. They said that's unfair business practices. And you know what? I tend to agree with that. I do see that as an unfair practice. And because of it being an unfair practice, they were uh, fined, and rightfully so. And I think here in the United States, very similar things are continuing to happen. Is it Google's obligation to be unbiased when it comes to their search? That might be the bigger question. But if anything, I think that consumer practices would show you that it's better for them to be unbiased than it is not. And if you want consumer protection, you need to keep big tech companies in check, which I think the FTC will be doing here. So good for them. Or this is the Department of Justice. Excuse me. All right. One more question or one more answer, I should say one more segment coming up. I'm Ryan Recker filling in. If you wanted to uh, find me, I should probably give my social medias at Ryan Recker on Twitter, Ryan Recker Radio. If you want to find me on Facebook, we'll be right back on WTMJ. <laughs> I can't believe three hours just flew by. Here I'm looking at my notes. I'm looking at my stories. Okay, what am I going to talk about next hour? Wait a minute, I'm not on next hour. And I, look at all these stories. I printed all these articles and I didn't get a chance to get to them. Uh, Elon Musk and Donald Trump feuding. Sorry, that goes on the pile. Washington Post deciding to make some sort of commentary out of pre civil war time in today, saying that there's a lot of similarities between that time and what we're facing based on a post roe v Wade world sia lebron James uh eh. see all these things aren't even important to me anymore. Get a big stack of these stories. I'm glad we didn't get a chance to get to it. I almost forgot to do something very important before we ended the show here today. I didn't take any selfies in the studio. In a digital world, I think we just expect that you're going to take a selfie or two. And we have WTMJ Studio on the wall. We have this giant banner behind us. This banner alone probably cost $5,000 on the wall. Who am I to not take a picture with it? And I had to get one by the microphone and everything else there. So here I am today, just enjoying myself, living my best life in the radio world. And i got to say, it was quite an honor to be with you. And thank you for all the great text messages that came in on the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So many friendly faces, friendly people all across the board here at WTMJ. It was a great honor to enjoy this.